Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life on Calvary. And taking care of our sin, you ransomed our soul. Thank you, God. We do praise you for that this morning, and we thank you. You're our God, and there is none other. And we just continue to worship you today. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Uh, We will be uh, having our time of communion later this morning and really reflecting on what Jesus did for us and on that hill of Calvary. And as we've already heard uh, this morning, there's no other way. There's no other way to take care of our sin but at the cross. It's, uh, it's another beautiful morning, isn't it? My gosh, it's, uh, it's March, I know, and it's a little colder maybe than it was in February when we were getting 65 and 70 degrees, but beautiful, and I'm loving it, and it can continue. I want to uh, just say hello to anyone who's uh, catching us live streaming this morning, and especially because I received a text this morning all the way from Singapore. So I know there's some who are in Florida, and they're uh, the snowbirds, and they tune in, but yes, uh, my brother and his family went to Singapore to visit my nephew, who's uh, serving our country as an officer in the Navy. So hey, hello Singapore. We're glad you're, uh, we're glad you're checking in this morning. And I've been getting some good, good uh, feedback and comments from so many of you about our services, and I just want to say thank you. Uh, God bless you. Uh, we, we love you, and we, are, we just appreciate your support. And I really want to just give all the credit to Almighty God. And uh, I really believe part of this, a real great part of this, has been prayer. There has been uh, a lot of prayer for our church and for our services. And especially on Sunday morning, there's a prayer meeting in our chapel. And there is a group that gets together just to pray for the church and to pray uh, for our Sunday morning service. So thank you for being there. And if you, uh, if you arrive early on a Sunday morning, you can go in the chapel. If you haven't uh, gone to a Sunday class or if maybe you're just a little late for your Sunday class and you're not going to interrupt it, just go into the chapel. There's always a prayer time going. And I thank God for it because I really feel the power and the presence of Almighty God here in our services. It's a, he is he's great. This morning, we are continuing in Matthew's gospel. We've been going through Matthew's gospel, talking about the references that are made in his gospel back to the Old Testament, where Jesus has been this fulfiller of what the prophets of old have been saying. And Matthew is one of the most prolific of the quoters of the Old Testament. And we're going to be again in his uh, gospel this morning. If you have your Bibles and you just put your finger in Matthew chapter 9, I'll be getting there in a few minutes. I want to give you a little background about Matthew the man. We've talked a little bit about his style and the fact that he was uh, writing to really win the Jewish population. This morning, just a little bit about who Matthew was. His name, it means gift of God. He was a man who was called 
by Jesus. If you read the book of Luke, if you read the book of Mark, you'll find that he's identified as Levi, not Matthew. Somewhere along the line, his name changed. I don't know, perhaps Jesus changed his name. Jesus changed Simon to Peter. Maybe he changed Levi to uh, Matthew. We don't know for sure. But Jesus saw this man. He was a tax collector. Jesus saw him at his toll booth. And he was one of these uh, collectors of taxes and not really well liked. None of us really love paying our taxes. And uh, that was a time where the tax collectors could excise a little bit more if they wanted to. And you'll read that he was a tax collector. If you read King James Bible, you read he was called a publican. It means the same thing. He was collecting customs at his toll booth. It was located on a main highway that came from Damascus through the Jordan Valley, hit Capernaum, which was this little town where uh, Matthew uh, resided, and he had his uh, booth to take customs as uh, people came uh, in and out with goods and such. And then that road went along to the Mediterranean. We talked about it last week. It was called the Via Maris, or the Way of the Sea. And uh, there Matthew was along that way to take, to take custom. Farmers coming from a market, import, export, all that, kind of, uh, all that kind of tribute that needed to be paid to Rome. And he was not a well-liked guy. The tax collectors were hated. And they were really hated by the Jews because typically the tax collector was Jewish and he was working for the Romans. So imagine your country's been occupied. You're probably really not in love with the fact that it's been occupied. You're not going to really love the occupiers. And then they want to take some of your money and they hire your own people to take the money. You're probably not going to like those folks too much. So thus the uh, tax collectors, uh, they weren't very well liked. They were looked at as traitors, collaborators with the occupiers. They were hopeless sinners and they were ostracized by the general population of the Jews. They had to keep to themselves, so they had their own little social circles. But they were well-to-do, rich. They had their money, so they could take care of themselves. And they were sort of their own little group. And it's interesting what transpired when Jesus came upon this guy, Levi or Matthew, the tax collector. Jesus had been at the south end of the lake, or what's called the Sea of Galilee, or some Bibles will say Lake Tiberias. Uh, others will, uh, and it depends on which gospel you're in. John calls it Lake uh, Gennesaret. Uh, Luke calls it Lake Tiberias. You'll read in other passages of Scripture, the Sea of Galilee. It's the same body of water uh, that was at the end of the Jordan River there. And Jesus had been at the south end casting out demons, cast out demons from a man uh, who had many demons. Uh, he said he was filled with a legion of demons. And he crossed the lake. So Jesus crossed back, went north, and he came into uh, Capernaum, which was mentioned in Matthew's gospel as his town. It had become Jesus' second hometown because he had come out of Nazareth. We talked about that a bit last week, how he had come into this area known as, uh, known as Galilee of the Gentiles. So uh, Jesus came into town. He healed a, a paralyzed man. And then he begins to move down the road. So I want to pick up the account right there in Matthew 9. So Jesus has been moving around, healing people, doing great things. And we'll pick up 
the account. It's Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, and I'm going to read through to verse 13. It reads, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, it's no surprise here that Jesus probably isn't winning a popularity contest with these Jewish leaders called the Pharisees because he's making friends with the tax collector. He's making friends with the enemy, in essence, a traitor. So Jesus probably isn't winning over these Pharisees because he's doing this, let alone saying to the man, hey, follow me. But an amazing turn of events occurred. When Jesus said, follow me to this despised tax collector, we don't read about any hesitation. We don't read that he had to take time to think about it. Nothing uh, in terms of, hey, I got to take care of some business first. No, he says he got up and he followed him. It's thought that because Jesus had taught in and around Capernaum that Matthew had likely heard the teaching of Jesus. And so this invitation wasn't really the first time that Jesus had made himself known to Matthew. Matthew may have heard the great Sermon on the Mount because it took place right there along the shores of uh, the Sea of Galilee. Whatever the case, Matthew promptly responded to Jesus' call to become a disciple and a follower. And he didn't do it quietly. He didn't do it behind the scenes. He didn't do it under the cover of darkness. No, he got up broad daylight, said, hey, I'll follow you. And then he had a banquet. When you read Luke's gospel, you get a little bit more detail about this event. Luke says that Matthew got up from his tax collecting booth, he left everything, and then he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So Matthew mentions this event. We get a little more detail from Luke. Matthew held a party. And this is somewhat uh, reminiscent. It's uh, similar to what happened to this other famous tax collector who was a chief tax collector. You might recall Zacchaeus, the Bible talks about. He also hosted a banquet for Jesus. And Jesus proclaimed to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I imagine it was a very similar scene at Matthew's house. That Matthew, he left his wealth like Zacchaeus did. And he left that despised occupation which marked him as a sinner. And he became a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. 
And that's something worth celebrating. That's something to party about. And so he had a party. And Jesus attended, and he mixed and mingled with Matthew's friends. Well, Matthew didn't have time to go uh, make a new circle of friends. This was the day that he was saved. We heard this this morning. Today is the day of your salvation. That's a great day. That's a day to get up and celebrate and thank the Lord. Hey, my soul, my eternal destination has been sealed. So Matthew was there with, his, with the friends that he knew, other tax collectors. And Jesus was there too, and he didn't just reach out to Matthew. He was mixing and mingling, and he was reaching out to these who were considered the, the vile people. You know, these associates of the tax collector and other tax collectors. And of course, this caught the eye of the Pharisees. This caught the eye of these uh, religious leaders of the time. And they would never do such a thing. They would never associate with traitors. They wouldn't be associating with these who made their fortunes off the backs of their very own people. But the Pharisees... They were hypocritical leaders. They knew the word of God. And yet, when it came to life application, they were more along these lines. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, they thought very highly of themselves. They looked down upon other people. So they confronted Jesus' followers. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But Jesus heard, so his followers didn't have to respond. Jesus heard, and Jesus responded. And he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There's some implications here in in this passage, there's some implications from this short little passage of Scripture that we can draw. And one at first, one uh, implication is that uh, what Jesus implied when he talked to the Pharisees. He, impl he employed an analogy Jesus did. He used a simple picture. Healthcare. Healthcare was big back then, it's big now. It's always something that people are concerned about. And simply put... Jesus said there's sick and there's well. Sick people need a doctor. And the healthy people, the well people, they don't need a doctor. And when Jesus said the sick need a doctor, and I came for them, and I came for the sinners, he, he associates these two, the, the sick and the sinners, and he implies these people I'm with, they're sick. These are the sick people. This is what's implied in Jesus' statement. He isn't hanging around with the, the well people, the tax collectors and the sinners that these Pharisees so deftly pointed out, hey, why are you hanging out with those people? Jesus said they're indeed sick. They're ill. They need a doctor. They're in need of healing. They're in need of some kind of touch. But it's not physically that they're, they have an issue they have a spiritual disease, and that disease is sin. Matthew was one of these tax collectors and sinners, but Matthew recognized something. 
He saw in Jesus something that he needed. He saw Jesus as the doctor who had the cure that Matthew needed. And no doubt Matthew was thrilled. He was overjoyed. And if you were cured of a deadly disease, would you have a party? I think I would have a party if I thought I was going to die and the next thing I know, hey, I'm going to live. Something's been taken care of. That's a reason to have a party. I'd celebrate. And Matthew was celebrating his salvation. Maybe, maybe Matthew changed his name from Levi to Matthew. It means gift of God after all. Maybe he realized, oh, I received such this grand gift from God. I don't want to be known as Levi anymore. Call me Matthew, gift of God, because I received something today. I received my life from the very Son of God. And he wanted his friends to see this. He wanted to share this with his friends. He invited his friends. Hey, I see Jesus as my Savior. Do you see him as the same way? He saw Jesus as one who could bring him into right relationship with God, his creator. And he recognized Jesus could change the destiny of his soul for eternity. So Jesus is saying, of course, I'm eating with the tax collectors and sinners. They're sick. They're sick. They need help. And that's why I'm here. I came for the sick. I came for the, 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 the needy. I came to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal and to deliver, to deliver and uh, to cast out demons and to cure people from the bondage of sin. These people, are, these people aren't well, and that's why I'm here. You know, to these Pharisees, don't you see? Now, a second implication from this passage. Jesus is making, without saying it, what about you Pharisees? Are you reaching out? I'm reaching out to the sinners. I'm reaching out to those in need. What about you? Why aren't you reaching out to, to the tax collectors and the sinners like I am? Well, the Pharisees weren't reaching out. They weren't reaching out because they despised those people. They hated them. And they wouldn't be caught in public speaking to one. A Pharisee would pray, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. And I'm not a tax collector. And Jesus gave a parable where he recited that this was a prayer of the Pharisee. But those are the people that are in need. Those are the people that are sick. The robbers and the evil evildoers. The, the Pharisees knew the Old Testament. They knew it backward and forward. They knew how many times their ancestors had lost their way. And they needed someone, like a prophet or a judge, to, to, to get them back on track. And the prophet or the judge would reach out and say to the people, you need to repent, you need to come back to the Lord, you need to honor God. Now what about these Pharisees? Would they reach out to the lost? Would they reach out to the ones who'd lost their way? Would they reach out to the wayward? Not on your life. No. They were too holy for that. They were, hey, they were too holy in their own eyes. Couldn't associate with those dregs of society. Oh, no, not an adulterer, not a prostitute, or even a dreaded tax collector. Oh, that would bring defilement to them. To the Pharisee, these people were pollution. Pollution they wouldn't allow in their life. But Jesus said something to them. 
He said, you need to learn. You need to learn something. You need to learn the basics of God's word. You don't know how to live it out. You don't know how to apply this. You're not reaching out because you do not know how to live out God's word. So go and learn what it says, Jesus told them. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The Pharisees knew that uh, Jesus wasn't making some saying up. He wasn't talking off the cuff. No, Jesus was, he, he was giving them the word of God. He was giving them words from the prophets of old. Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, it says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And I'm sure the Pharisees were familiar with that. And they were just as familiar with Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, where it reads a little bit more in detail. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now these Old Testament prophets had spelled out something. They, they had shown a characteristic of God. He desired mercy Sacrifice was necessary, yes, sacrifice was necessary because of sin. But God would rather mercy. And Jesus was the embodiment of mercy. By this point in his ministry, when he called Matthew, he had been in and around this area of Capernaum for some time. Jesus had healed the sick. We read he had healed many of the sick. He'd cured leprosy. He cast out demons from many people. He'd gone across the lake to, the, to that man who was filled with a legion of demons and cast them out. He calmed a storm along the way. He taught with authority. People heard him give the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, Jesus said over and over. You have heard it said, but I say. And one of those was, you have heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because Jesus was the embodiment of mercy. Mercy had walked up to this toll booth. And the tax collector, Matthew, saw mercy. But the Pharisees were blind. They were blind. They didn't see it. The Lord is merciful that's what it said in, in that opening video this morning. The Lord is merciful, compassionate, great is the Lord. They didn't see it. Didn't see it at all. They were supposed to know how to apply God's word. They were supposed to know how to live God's word. But they were in need of learning themselves. And then there's a, a third implication. Jesus was, in essence, saying to these Pharisees, you're sick too. You think you know what the word of God is all about? And you need to learn the living personification 
of mercy walked into your presence and you didn't see him. You're sick. You're broken. You don't get it. You don't see that either. You don't see how sick you really are. And isn't that often the case? Doesn't that occur sometimes that the sick ignore their sickness? It can happen. And I'll tell you, it kind of happened to me. I'll give you a little, a little uh, story from my own life where, yeah, I ignored it. It was 2008, and it was Halloween. Beautiful day. Stunningly beautiful day. 75, maybe up to 80 degrees. Sun was shining. I got a call from Rick Lipinski. And he said, hey, you want to go fishing? I said, you know, Rick, I'd love to go fishing. But I can't. My mother-in-law had had an operation on her back, and Julie and I were going to go visit my mother-in-law in the hospital. So as beautiful as a day that it was, I can't go. So we made our plans to go visit my mother-in-law, and Julie called, and my mother-in-law insisted, don't come, I'm doing fine, I'm doing great, I'm, I'm really recovering well, please stay home, don't bother, your, don't put yourself out. And so we decided, okay, we'll, uh, we'll let her, you know, you, you always listen to your mother-in-law, right? So, hey. Uh, so it was still a beautiful day, and I, I couldn't go fishing now. So we got our bicycle out. Uh, I, I've talked about my years in the bicycle store where I worked, and I'd bought this tandem bicycle. I know I've even told you a story about it with my dog on the back of that bike one crazy time. Uh, I still have that bike. It's uh, 35 years old, I think, now. And I, I bought it uh, before we were married. So Julie and I had been on that bike many times. I said, let's go for a bike ride. So we went over to Dodge Park, over here right off of uh, uh, Shaner and Clinton River, and we, we got into Dodge Park there, and we just began to, to ride. What a gorgeous day it was. And we kept going. We, uh, you know, we went under the Van Dyke Freeway Bridge, kept on going. We were getting close to uh, Old Van Dyke, where the park really ends. One little dip, one little dip on the path. There was a little patch of leaves there, and oh, caught that wheel on the bike, and we went down like a door on a hinge. Wham! And uh, it's an asphalt path, and there's mud on the side. We landed mostly in the mud, and we got up. I said, Julie, all right? You know, she's like, oh, yeah, my hand hurts a little bit, but I'm okay, I'm all right. And we looked ridiculous. The, the right half of our bodies were... And I mean, seriously, like this, like halfway, just like this because we had splashed into this mud. And I told her, I said, oh, my leg kind of hurts. My leg kind of hurts a little bit. And uh, I was able to get my leg over the rail of the bike, got back on, I said, yeah, let's go. And hey, it's a tandem. She could do some of the work. So even though I wasn't, <laughs> my right leg wasn't great, uh, she was helping me. So we were gonna go all the way back uh, throw the bike back on my van, go home. We, we looked like we had dressed up for Halloween. Seriously, I mean, this mud all over us. When we arrived home, my daughter actually said, 
Will you, are you two doing something for Halloween? And I, I'm, you know, my hand is bloody and I, I'm covered with mud. I said, no, no, we crashed our bicycle. So I was kind of hurting. I went to urgent care, got an x-ray, got checked out. You know, the doc said, hey, you know, maybe you got a hairline fracture there in, in your hip, but uh, I, can't, I can't tell you for sure. You, you might want to get a second opinion. Uh, yeah, and then he gave me the film, and that was that. So, hey, I went home, and I was feeling pretty good. You know, I thought, well, maybe it's just I, I kind of displaced this thing or something, right? So, hey, I, I, I just just getting on with my life. You know, and I was going a couple days, and my good wife was saying, you need to go to the doctor. And I said, no, I don't. I'm fine. I'm good. I can walk perfect, see? <laughs> I was walking perfect. Well, about a week went on of this perfect walking, and now others were getting involved, saying, you need to go to a doctor. I said, no, it's fine. It's just like a sprain or something. It's, it's okay. It's good. So a second week transpired, and yes, Julia had talked to, I think, all kinds of people. You know, I know. I'm looking out at faces of you who are saying, I told you so. I told you so, right? Yeah. And so there was this big woman's conference at the church Saturday. So now it's, it's November, it's 15th, I think. Yeah, it's opening day. And Big woman's conference, 1,500 women are here. Julie's gone. My daughters are gone. I'm home all alone. And I thought, well, maybe I should just go drive to the hospital. Maybe I should get a second opinion. But I didn't, you know, really why? I had been walking so perfect, and I'd been telling everyone, what limp? There is no limp. I am, this is, that leg is working perfect. I don't know what you're talking about. And I walked myself into the hospital, and I said, People are telling me something's wrong. I don't, I don't know what they're talking about. And you know what? They put me in the express lane. I didn't even know there was an express lane at the emergency room because they thought, well, I'll be in and out. Yeah, you just sprained something. See, they were convinced. So quickly, and, and really in a matter of half an hour, they had, uh, they had an x-ray done and... I was sitting in this little room, and a radiologist walks in. I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. She walks in. She says, sir, how you doing? I said, good. I'm doing very well. She said, sir, you have a serious hip fracture. And I said, what? No way. She said, oh, yeah, you have a very serious hip fracture. We're sending you in for a CAT scan immediately. And I, I said, really? She said, Do you, did you get this checked out? How long have you been going here? What's, I said, I've been walking perfect for two weeks. What are you talking about? She's like, you got a broken hip. So I gave her my original film that I got from that, from that uh, urgent care. She put it up on the screen. See, I guess if you know what you're looking at, she, she looks at it. She goes, oh. She said, let me show you something. And, and I'll never forget this either. 
she says, do you see this? And she went just like this. A big old zigzag right across the neck of my femur. She said, you have a serious hip fracture. And I couldn't believe it. And uh, yeah, they sent me for a CAT scan to prove it. And so I had asked that, that uh, radiologist, I said, well, what do you think they're going to do? She says, oh, total hip replacement. <laughs> Crestfallen. I said, I can't believe this. Now I got to make the worst call of my entire life. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> Julie. How's that conference going? <laughs> they told me I'm not leaving here. And yeah, they told me I need a total hip replacement. Uh, you were right. <laughs> Boy, those words are tough. Those words are tough. You know, but I'd been ignoring this. I'd been ignoring it, wasn't listening, paying no attention. Though I was sick and I really needed a doctor, I had ignored it. And thankfully, I, a, a great orthopedic surgeon came in and he said, listen, you don't need to replace your hip. It's all smashed together. You smashed it really good. And he said, you're very fortunate. Most people who begin to walk, they just snap it right off and then they're done. But you... I said, really, Doc? I've been walking on this thing. I've been hanging on my inversion table trying to get it back. And he's like, oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> You're very fortunate. So he told me uh, he was going to repair me and take care of it, which he did. And of course, uh, I should have listened. I should not have ignored it. And my good friend Rick Lipinski will say, well, you should have gone fishing. But when we're broken, when we're hurting, when we're sick, now sometimes we're just saying, I'm okay, I'm good. And we just ignore it. We ignore the pain. We ignore the fact that we're in need. And now I carry around a reminder. I carry a reminder that I need from time to time to just listen. To, to pay attention. They put four big bolts up into my hip. And so I, uh, I, I can feel the heads of those screws from time, you know, right there. And I can say, yeah, all right, I should listen. It's a great reminder. I'm that guy at the airport that bothers you because I'm slowing down the line. It's a reminder. I got to listen. You know, these Pharisees, they were sick. They had lost their way. They were in need of, of a, a healing. They were in need of deliverance. De deliverance from self-righteousness. Deliverance from, hey, I got this, and I know what I'm doing. You know, they had God in the flesh standing right there before them, saying, hey, you're not well. You need help. But they ignored him. They didn't listen. You know, Jesus crossed paths with them many more times. And he, he may have been subtle in this encounter, at least a little bit. He did tell them they needed to learn some things, but he became more and more direct with them. He got to the point where he just said, listen, you're whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. In the same way, outwardly, you appear righteous, but on the inside... 
You're full of wickedness and hypocrisy. And, and he said, hey, you're like a, a cup or a plate, the cup that's clean on the outside, but it's, it's dirty on the inside. You need to clean yourselves up on the inside. You're full of greed and indulgence. Clean that up before you present yourself as clean on the outside. But they ignored Jesus. They didn't listen. Instead, they plotted to kill him. Stubborn to the core. Stubborn. I don't want to listen. So what can we take from this? Just a, a, a quick summary. In Jesus' time, tax collectors and the people they associated with, they weren't well. They were sick. They were in need of healing. In our time, we find many people around us are sick. And we're surrounded by people that need that same healing that Matthew needed. They, they need that same cure that Jesus offered. They're sick, and their issue is sin, and the cure is Jesus Christ. And so are we reaching out? You know, Jesus came to call sinners. He came to call sinners to repentance. He reached out to them. And if we're Christians, if we count ourselves as Christians, we have that same mission, the same mission that Jesus had, to call sinners. And we can't do that if we think ourselves above them. We can't do that if, if we think, well, you know, I can't associate with that. Before any of us were saved, we were really no different than Matthew, the tax collector. We were lost in the dark. You know, we all have a story of our salvation experience, I'm sure, someone shared Christ with us, and our eternal destiny changed because of it. Now, even if you were blessed to be born into a Christian family and you were raised as a Christian, there was a day in your life. There was a day, maybe it was at your youth group, maybe it was a Sunday morning, maybe it was your mom or your dad who sat you down. And you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And some of us who were in a Christian family, it was harder. We, we ignored that or we didn't listen to that. And it took us a while longer to see Jesus for what he was as the cure for sin, to see Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we went out into the world. Maybe it was to college. Maybe it was out into the workplace. But there came a day where through a life experience and someone crossing our paths that we said, yes, yes. I see Jesus Christ as my Savior. I see that he take, takes away the sin that so defiles me. Remember your story. Remember your story. Replicate your story by reaching out, by reaching out to others that need that same salvation that you've experienced. And sometimes we get off track. Sometimes we get a little sick. Sometimes we might get to walk in a little bit like this. You know, something's got us. Some sin has crept into our life, and hey, I got this. I'm doing well. Somebody might even say, hey, you're sick. You need some help. You know, it might be a friend, someone in our life. We say, no, 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 no. Nothing's wrong with me. I got this. There's no problem. Everything's okay. There are times when we can slip into that. And we need to just be aware of it. Be aware that we can slip into that sickness. And if you're sick, don't ignore it. 
That's the time to be open. That's the time to be receptive to somebody who's coming to you and speaking the truth in love, saying, hey, you need to, you need to get back on track. There are people in our lives that will keep us accountable, and they will let us know. And we can avoid a future where we might need an operation or something even worse if we just listen. And then one, one final point. Jesus had said, but go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. God desires us to act justly and to love mercy and, and to walk humbly with him. But sacrifice was still necessary. It was necessary for the scourge of sin. And Jesus, who was love and he was mercy and he was justice incarnate and personified and embodied in the human form, he was also sacrifice. Jesus is sacrifice. He's our sacrifice. That's why so much more to us. God desires mercy. We don't have to offer these sacrifices of, what did we read in Micah? You know, a thousand rams and bulls and gallons of oil. No, we don't have to offer those sacrifices. Our sin has been paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ. He gave his life on the cross as a sacrifice. Yes, the Pharisees plotted to kill him, but Jesus willingly went to that spot where they crucified him. And there is no greater reminder for us than that, that he sacrificed his life and he calls us to, to, to receive that. He calls sinners to repentance. Jesus is our cure. He's your cure. Turn. Turn from sin to him. He gave his life on Calvary, and Calvary covered it all. And this morning, we're going to do just as Jesus asked us to do, to take bread and to take a cup, and as a community, remember that he's the cure. Remember what he has done and what he's accomplished for us. And I want to ask our, our deacons and our elders, if you would, prepare, please, to serve us our communion this morning. Our communion's open to all who have come to Jesus in repentance, and you've made him the Lord of your life. It may not have been as dramatic as Matthew, uh, the tax collector, who turned, he turned away from his livelihood. He walked away from his life completely and totally to follow Jesus. But it's what Jesus taught. I've called sinners to repentance. And if you've done that, if you've come in repentance to Christ and you've yielded your life to him, our communion table is open to you this morning.